This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. It's another edition of the Equalizer podcast as we hit the second week in August. Dan Lawletta joined this week by Rachel Krigger. And Rachel and I are going to recap the 2016 NWSL draft. And this draft, I think, Rachel, as we dive right in, was more noted for what happened before the draft than what happened actually during the draft. Although, as I went back and looked at the players that were taken, some pretty interesting players were selected uh, down draft at that time. So that's, uh, that's my initial thought on the 2016 draft. Before I talk too much, let me bring you in and uh, 2016 draft. What do you know? Yeah, uh, 2016 draft was kind of my, my first draft covering women's soccer there's a, a lot of really good names kind of packed in toward the later uh, in the third, later in the third round, early in the fourth round. Some names that maybe some people have have forgotten about, some hidden gems. Um, but 2016 was was bustling with all sorts of talent. Well, let's talk first about what happened leading into this draft. Um, first off, there was a trade pulled off. I think it was announced the morning of the draft, maybe the day before where Sky Blue moved up to the number two pick and they sent Nadia Nadim to Portland in order to flip-flop the two and the three picks in that particular draft. And then about 10 minutes before this draft started, I know this was before you were on the scene and covering these things live, but literally about 10 minutes before it started, we got word there's a big announcement coming. Nobody had any idea what it was. It could have literally been anything. It could have been expansion. It could have been the league folding before the draft. Nobody knew. And it was the introduction of the new rule where new allocated players that were coming into the league would actually go through kind of like a waiver priority order. So basically the worst team, which at that time was Boston, who had um, had the number one pick, which became the number two pick. And all things got confusing, but it actually turned out that Orlando came in and had the number one pick, which they traded to Portland. We'll get to that in a minute. Anyway. They had this order now for new players coming in. And basically, this rule was put in place to get Mallory Pugh to Portland. And at the time, there were reports all over the place that Mallory Pugh was coming out. She wasn't going to go to UCLA. She was coming right into the league. And sure enough, they made the announcement. And Portland traded with Boston to get that top pick. And that number three pick went to Boston. So... Then Pew decided, and it was legitimate, that she was coming out. She wasn't going to UCLA. She was coming into the league, but she changed her mind. So she wound up not going to Portland. And when she finally did come out later on, I guess the next year, um, 
or maybe it was even later that year, but when she finally did come out, Portland again tried to get her, but the spirit held tough, and Washington wound up with her. Now she's been traded to Sky Blue. Anyway, that was the big deal early on in that draft that the Mal Pugh rule came in. Uh, so before I babble any farther, what are your memories or thoughts on, on that rule and how that has come to pass? Because really, other than Washington trading up a couple times later on and winding up with Mallory Pugh, it's really been a non-issue uh, sort of you know, part of the league in the last four years. Sure. It it definitely played a, a large um, decision in the draft. It made a lot of, um, a lot of people kind of shift gears with what their draft plan was. And, you know, I remember, like you said, that was kind of a little bit before I, I got on the scene and in, in live coverage, but um, I remember here seeing on Twitter, you know, you guys, Jeff and, and John, talking about well Mallory Pugh's coming to the league and I thought wow okay I, I thought she was going to play collegiate soccer first and then she she doubled back and, and went to go to UCLA and I, I remember everyone just being absolutely sunned about that and the draft kind of took a huge turn not for the worst but just a huge turn that changed a lot of um a lot of draft plans for for some teams for sure. All right. Now, Portland also had the number one pick, and that was because they made that massive trade with Orlando because Orlando was coming into the league. They got the number one pick. They wanted Alex Morgan. Portland was looking to move Alex Morgan, and it all came together. And part of the package was the number one pick, and Portland took Emily Sonnet. And, you know, I think it's really hard four years in, and now I guess 20 in the books, at least the NWSL Challenge Cup, I think it's pretty hard to analyze Sonnet because with Portland, she won a shield. She won a NWSL championship. She has been on the national team and won a World Cup. She's been on an Olympic team. But I also think it's fair to look at Emily Sonnet and think that she's underachieved a little bit. Yeah, I think so, too. I think another reason why it's a, a little hard to analyze her is because she's played different positions, too. So it's not like you have one person who is just, you know, she came into the team as a as a center back, but she's also played in the in the right back left back spot. So it's definitely you know, she's she's one of those players that you, you thought that the national team credit was going to give her a major boost that she was going to do well on a team like Portland with um, all of those national team stars like you know, Tobin Heath, of course, Megan Klingenberg. Um, but then she, yeah, she, I think she did kind of overwhelm a little, uh, underwhelm a little bit, sorry. Um, I think that she's one of those players that is just trying to find the right setting. I don't know if she quite had that in Portland. Um, maybe it's the lack of, of games that she had strung together because of all those international breaks. But to me, I, I think consistency was her biggest issue. And that is hard to say because, you know, like you said, you just listed off her resume. She does have a lot of hardware on her shelf. But I don't know. Def I think under underwhelming is the right way to describe the draft pick of Emily Sonnet. And I, and I think she had a, some peaks and then some valleys after that. You know, I think she was on her way to really being one of the more solid players. And, I, you know, I say this a lot. She came into the league and she was just getting in with the national team. So you finish your college season in the fall and she was at January camp with the national team when this draft happened. And then she went in with the Thorns and then she went to the Olympics. And then she came back. She was in the playoffs with the Thorns again, and then the national team never lets up. 
And I, I, that's hard thing for a college player coming off, you know, what are pretty simple college seasons if you compare them to the league and to the national team. And, you know, she, I think she actually improved a little bit after she got a break. You know, she wound up in Australia for a couple of off seasons and she was actually one of the players I was looking forward to watching at the Challenge Cup. And unfortunately, her new team, Orlando, had to pull out. So we, didn't get to see her. But I think the jury is very much out on this. Although, look, I think if you're Portland, you can't be unhappy with this pick because, you know, I think that when they traded Morgan, I think that kind of brought their locker room together to some extent. And I think that, you know, again, they won hardware with Emily Sonnet and then they moved her and got some picks and they turned those picks into other picks. And, uh, you know, so I think they have to be pretty happy with the with the selection. Number two, and I know this one's near and dear to your heart, was Raquel Rodriguez. <laughs> and that is why Sky Blue wanted to move up to pick number two. And she was the rookie of the year out of this draft class. And she had already scored a World Cup goal, which she did for Costa Rica in 2015. And what do you know? She now plays for Portland, uh, which will be a kind of a common theme as we go down the list here. But um, your floor is yours on Rodriguez. This pick is near and dear to my heart. Um, yeah, Raquel Rodriguez, I think she is one of those players that kind of had the misfortune of being on a not-so-good team, even though she is quite good of a player. Um, I think that no matter what the team did, that's what Sky Blue did, I think Raquel Rodriguez always was pretty consistent. She was normally... On the ball, she was, you know, stringing together passes. You know, she found herself on the score sheet a few times. And then I, I remember last year she kind of hit the bench and there was really no reason why. It was kind of, it was kind of like Carly Lloyd came in and it pushed, um, Raquel Rodriguez over to the bench. But, um, yeah, she, like you said, she plays for Portland now. And I, I said it multiple times during the Challenge Cup. I think that she's, Someone who it looks like she has been on the thorns her whole career. She was so calm, cool, collected, and she just fit right in and just gelled together with the team. And I, I wish that there would have been more success with Sky Blue. I think she definitely earned some more, earned the chance to have more success, but I'm glad that she is on a team now where she, I think she just fits now with Portland. I don't know if there was a, a quite as smooth of a fit as there were that there could have been in sky blue. So um, it's, it's a move for the better. It's definitely a loss for sky blue. Of course, they have a bunch of new additions that kind of tried to patch it up, but I think just she's such a dynamic player to me. And I, I say that because there really isn't a lot of um, Latin American, Central American players in the NWSL. And I think you know, that's kind of my favorite style of soccer. There's just kind of that um, Latino flair, if you will, of playing soccer. And I think that she definitely brings the unique style of soccer to the to the U.S. with the NWSL. See, and I thought toward the end of her Sky Blue tenure that she didn't get any better, that she was okay, but that there was an additional part of her game that I wanted to see get unlocked, and it just wasn't happening. A little bit maybe lazy defensively, but even with the ball at her feet, I, I, it never seemed like she was totally comfortable in those last few years. Now, full disclosure, that is a common theme for players 
who were at Sky Blue from like 2017 to mid-2019, right? Look at Shay Groom, who suddenly woke up at this year's NWSL Challenge Cup. She was there. Savannah McCaskill looks like she went backwards and maybe broke out a little bit with the Red Stars. Katie Johnson maybe hasn't yet, but she's another one that went through Sky Blue and, you know, things were not ideal. So I did think she was really good with the Thorns at the Challenge Cup, and I'll be curious to see what she can do there with an entire season. Now, the third pick also plays for the Thorns now, and I find this pick, this is one of the more fascinating picks, I think, through the uh, eight years that we've had a draft in the NWSL, because this was the pick that Portland traded to the Breakers to flip-flop in that distribution ranking order, and the Breakers took Kristen Westfall. And I've thought for years, I've said, everybody forgets that the Thorns basically gave up the number three pick to Boston for nothing, literally. I mean, they got something out of it, but it turned into nothing, literally. I think if that was a better player, Portland would get a little bit of flack for that. And what do you know? West falls now on the Thorns, and I thought she played better than she's ever played this Challenge Cup on the Thorns. So a lot of irony there with that Kristen Westfall pick, third overall. I, yeah, we're definitely seeing a theme. I really, really enjoyed watching Kristen Westfall at the Challenge Cup. And, you know, to be honest with you, I don't remember a lot of her time with the Boston Breakers where she was drafted. And so I like seeing these players who, you know, of course, aren't the usual names on the U.S. Women's National Team kind of make a name for themselves and kind of put their name in Vlatko Andonovsky's uh, little black book. So um, watching her at the, uh, at the Challenge Cup was a lot of fun, kind of really, really make a name for herself and get some attention on her. Number four was Carson Pickett, the only player that Laura Harvey ever drafted in the top five in all of her years in the NWSL. And I kind of feel bad for Carson Pickett having been picked number four because I feel like if she were picked like 24 or even 14, she would be one of those players that has kind of worked herself into being a pretty good player. But if you just look at her as the fourth overall pick, that has to be considered a poor pick, especially considering some of the players that went down behind her. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Carson Pick, it's another player who her time with the former Seattle Reign FC is somewhat a little hazy to me. But she I, I feel like I, I don't know if it's just her. I don't know if it's the defenses that she's on, if it's the systems that just aren't working for her. Maybe she's not playing in exactly her preferred position, but I've always been um, underwhelmed by her. And I, I don't knock her by any means because, of course, something could just not be gelling together for her. Maybe she needs a new team or a new system that works for her. But just I think that there's there's something to be said of, you know, not to switch teams and go off topic too much, but there there's something to be said about letting in the most goals in the history of the NWSL <laughs> last year. Um, and I hate to bring up bad memories for the uh, for the Orlando Pride, but and obviously it's um it's not just on one person too. It's not just on Pickett. It's on members of that whole defense, the goalkeeping crew, the whole team, whatnot. Um, but yeah, I think looking at the broad scope of, scope of everything, it's definitely one of those picks that I think a lot of people maybe forget about. I mean, I think she's had games here and there where you're like, wow, now I see why Harvey picked her number four. But they've just been too few and far between. But, you know, kind of like Sonnet, you know, I wanted to see 
whether Orlando could get that defense figured out because they got, you know, they got Sonnet in there and they got a couple of other parts and they actually had some flexibility in how they were maybe going to play. Allie Riley was in there and Pickett would have been part of that. Maybe she would have pushed up and played in the midfield. So, you know, hopefully they can get those players back and see what they can figure out for, um, you know, 2021 when we come back. All right. We're going to step aside. Um, we're going to do all three Houston dash first round picks at once the rest of the first round. And then we'll go team by team through the remaining picks in the draft as we've done on the other draft recap shows, Rachel Krigger and Dan Lawletter recapping the 2016 NWSL draft on the Equalizer podcast. What's up, everybody? Jeff Kasouf here, founder of The Equalizer. I want to make sure that you know we also have another podcast called Kicking Back, which is interview-based. We talk to players, coaches, personalities from across women's soccer about defining moments in their career and some important things from the present day and look ahead a little bit to the future. We've had guests like Crystal Dunn, Becky Sauerbrunn, Jill Ellis, Bev Yanez, Ali Riley, Julie Foudy and Mia Hamm, so many already, and many more to come. So please go ahead and check out Kicking Back Pod on any platform you find your podcast after, of course, you've finished up with this episode of the Equalizer Podcast. Back on the Equalizer podcast with a reminder to please check out our content on the web at EqualizerSoccer.com or for premium content, EqualizerSoccer.com slash subscribe. And if you like what you hear on the podcast, please rate and review the Equalizer podcast today. Uh, we tried the Q&A again on Twitter. Uh, not too much uh, in the way of response. We did get uh, one question, how do we watch the Coupe de France? Uh, I have no idea. Rachel, any idea? If you don't know, then I don't know. <laughs> usually we find these things out like 12 minutes uh, into the games. And it's, I think. it's someone posting a link on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, Rainmaster asked last week uh, or midweek, um, do players who opted out of the Challenge Cup have to report back to training in August? I don't know the answer. I don't know that that's even been established yet. Um, and does Rapino ever play for the Rain again? I think that's a fair question. You know, she got that a little is. deep. Yeah, she was spotted in the WNBA bubble with her girlfriend, Sue Bird, who plays for the Seattle Storm. That didn't sit well with some people. I mean, I think if she keeps playing, she'll play for the rain again. But, I mean, who knows what happens after this year? You know, there's this assumption that the Olympics get pushed back, so it just extends everybody's career. But not everybody wakes up after six months off being able to play like they did. So, I, I don't know. I think that's a fair question. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I'm... I've said it before on, on the podcast that I don't think the rain, and I don't mean this with any malice, I don't think they quite need Megan Rapino. I mean, I, I say that, and OL Rain obviously did not have the greatest Challenge Cup, but I think that's just because everyone's getting used to Fareed Benstidi, and Fareed Benstidi is getting used to everyone that isn't Shirley Cruz because he's coached her before. <laughs> um, so I, I think that... I don't know if Rain exactly need the services of Megan Rapino. She played six games last year, um, and they made it to the playoffs basically, you know, without her. So I, I don't know. It's it's an interesting debate. I think I can understand the frustration 
um, people have too of her being in the uh, in the wobble and opting out of the out of the challenge cup. All right, then John Corman responded to our um, call and uh, didn't ask a question, just said, Rachel is an excellent addition to the podcast. Great energy, upbeat attitude. John, you're killing me. Killing <laughs> me here. Thanks, John. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I'm just joking around, of course. I met John, I think, at the final last year, and he's a big fan. And um, I agree, Rachel is an excellent. I don't like to say it publicly, but Rachel is an excellent <laughs> addition. Uh, to the podcast. So if you're listening and you want uh, your opinions and your questions on the podcast, um, reach out to us, use the hashtag EQZPOD, and we'll be throwing out the uh, call for questions and comments. We kind of stopped that during the Challenge Cup because we were going rapid fire after the matches, but we'll try to get that going again. All right, back to the 2016 draft and the Houston Dash, who have not had a long history of holding first-round picks, they actually had three of them in this draft. They had five, six, and eight. And really interesting names here. They picked Carrie Roccaro, number five, Rachel Daly, number six, Janine Becky, number eight. I think we have to focus first on Rachel Daly because she was good at the time. But this Challenge Cup, I mean, she was the face of this Challenge Cup. And that, you know, it's not usual that you get, or maybe we just haven't had enough of uh, you know, women's soccer leagues that have lasted. But I love the fact that Rachel Daly came in, has made herself a better player, has made herself the leader in that uh, locker room, which you can see just watching the game, how much the players kind of gravitate toward Rachel Daly. That number six pick with the – I mean, that's their gold standard pick at this point. There's no more Kaylee Ojai, number two in 2014. Rachel Daly is the gold standard for the Houston Dash team right now. And she's the face of the franchise, too, arguably. Um, I mean, she, to be honest with you, I always forget that she played collegiate soccer in the U.S. because of that um, English international flag next to her name. I just assumed that, you know, she came over. But, no, I mean, she, she really got her start in the United States, and she earned herself um minutes and she got on the pitch and did things with those minutes she she was productive and that got her on the uh on the lioness's national team so i and to talk about the challenge cup i think she was just on another level i she was so pumped for the tournament before it even started and wanted to make something of the houston dash and she's someone who you can tell is extremely proud of the team she's proud of it no matter what the result is, win, loss, draw. She's just proud to be a member of the Houston Dash. And she's gone through quite a bit of coaches. <laughs> she's gone through yeah, she quite a, a bit of roster rotation. And just for all of it to have some light at the end of the tunnel is, is great to see. She's someone, I think she works probably the hardest out of anybody on the in the NWSL. And I say that like I have visited every training for the NWSL, which I have <laughs> not. Um, but, but I, you can just see the intensity that she has on the field with the dash. And it's just, she takes it so serious and she just wants the club to be not, not to be the laughing stock. She wants everyone to take the Houston Dash seriously and to have that type of player with that type of passion on your team is just, it's really hard to come by. So and, Houston got it. <laughs> you know, when you talk about the college career too, she played at St. John's, which is not really 
a college that you associate with a lot of soccer, particularly on the women's side. So it wasn't even like she played at a high-profile program. Uh, you know, and I thought when she came in the league, she scored a lot of great goals, but she wasn't great around the goal. Like, it was almost like the harder the chance, the more likely it was that she would finish. And she played with a lot of energy, and she has transformed herself into a really complete all-around player. And to your point about the Dash Pride, both when they won the semi and when they won the final, there were moments where the camera went to her kind of on a knee or squatted down and just kind of like taking a breather for a minute, you know, like exhaling, like, wow, like I really put in a lot of blood, sweat and tears for this team. And we finally accomplished something. I thought that was pretty cool to see. Uh, Janine Becky went eight. I think she's, I mean, she's another one scored some great goals, but I never thought she made it when it, you know, like when it mattered most, I didn't feel like Janine Becky was ever a factor in games and eventually wound up, uh, in Europe. Um, I don't know if you have anything quick to say about Becky before I move on to Rocaro. Um, not too much. I think she's a, she's a player that obviously is, you know, young and uh, I would say even still up and coming. And I don't know, she, maybe she needed Europe more than she needed the NWSL. All right. Carrie Rocaro played for Randy Waldrum, who was the coach of the dash at the time, played for Waldrum at Notre Dame and her senior year, she had a pretty serious injury and had, hip surgery um, at the end of her senior year and played through the injury. And I remember speaking to her after she had played like her fourth game, which was sometime late spring, early summer, because she was still hurt when the thing started. And she told me that Waldrum had told her that if he didn't pick her, nobody else was going to, which I think made it odd that he picked her at number five. Now, I don't know that I believe that because I think somebody else would have taken a shot with her in the third or fourth round, even if nobody, even if everyone else was scared um, of the fact that she was hurt. Cause if you, I don't know if you remember this, but when the thorns at one point had the number one and two pick, there were people saying if they take Sonnet and Ricaro, that's their center back pairing for the next decade. I don't know if I would have agreed with that even back then, but that's how well regarded Ricaro was. And what do you know? She's now been on the North Carolina courage and has, two shields and two NWSL championships. And she doesn't play a whole lot for the courage, but by all accounts seems pretty happy there and has turned herself into a pretty decent role player. Um, so it's really kind of hard to figure that, you know, I mean, as a number five pick, I, she clearly didn't play up to that standard, but pretty cool to see her hanging around in the league. Does she play up to that standard um, when the international players are gone? Because um, that's, you know, to me, that's kind of her moment when the international players for the uh, for the North Carolina Courage are gone. That's when her and, and a lot of others really get their time because we've talked about it so many times before about how that first team, that uh, starting 11, is so hard to break into with all of the talent, the internationals, the just the, the players that Paul Riley likes. It's hard to find yourself into that starting 11 and I think that she is definitely Carrie Ricardo is definitely a player that is solid but obviously she's not going to start over you know Abby Ursag or Crystal Dunn all, all of those players so for me I think she's definitely a reliable option and I think that's something Paul Riley you know thought about when when he brought her to North Carolina, he knows that he has a ton of international talent and that he needs reliable, sturdy players with a bit of experience that are going to, you know, to steal the Houston Dash's phrase, hold it down while the uh, internationals are, are away. 
I think she was part of that ICC when the uh, when the Courage won the ICC without all their international players. And she also plays a variety of different roles when those players are gone. So, um, you know, that's yeah, it's a fact. And you know, she's been a pretty good addition for that team. So uh, good for her. In between those picks, it was Ricaros five, Daly six. Becky eight at number seven, the spirit pick Shayna Williams, who has since gotten married and is now Shayna Matthews, uh, a really underrated player. I think Shayna Matthews, she did not mm-hmm. go into the bubble this year um, with the I think that actually happened before everything shut down. She was not in preseason. And then I believe she announced that she's pregnant for the second time since then. But I, I you know, if she comes back and plays again, if, you know, if she can get her body back and recovered, uh, she's someone that I think can help the spirit if she chooses to continue her career. Yeah, I remember being really excited watching her last year, not in just club play, but getting a chance with Jamaica and going to the World Cup. Um, I really, really like her. She's someone I've gotten to to see live because Maryland is a lot closer to me than anywhere else. Um and I like her. I like her style. She's obviously someone that has a lot of experience. She's a veteran. Now she has some of that international experience to add um, to her resume. And I think that, you know, Richie Burke and the Washington Spirit would welcome her back with open arms because of that. And she's familiar with the team. You know, we, we talk about Tori Houston and her longtime status with the Washington Spirit. Well, I think Shayna, Shayna Matthews follows right behind uh, Tori Houston. They're both longtime veterans of the Washington Spirit. That's kind of, you know, in a Rachel Daly sense, that's that's their club and they're proud of their club. And I don't think I could see Shayna moving to another team. Um, granted, it's hard to break into other teams in the starting 11s, like we've said, but I think Washington is a good fit for her, and I hope she comes back because I think the league is better with a player like her. Yeah, I agree. Um, 9 and 10 will kind of do together. The Flash had the number 9 pick, took Michaela Hahn. The Pride had the number 10 pick, their first ever draft pick, and took Sam Wittemann. She was, by the way, their only ever first-round pick until – uh, they took Taylor Korniak, number three, in 2020. Uh, I, I always was waiting for Han to be, get good, but it never happened. She bounced around a little bit, and Wittemann didn't do a whole lot in Orlando, and they were out of the league. So, um, you know, I hate to use the expression bust, but those were certainly first-round busts, not players really that made any sort of impact at all at the NWSL level. Let's fly team by team now through the rest of the picks. We'll start. In the second round, number 11, The Flash. All right, here we go. They took Mackenzie Doniak, number 11. They took Mallory Weber, number 14. They took Laura Liedel, number 24. Britt Eckerstrom, number 26. And then they that was it. So not a bad haul. Doniak won with them once. Uh, is still around. You know, Weber, I think, got traded before the season started and did some interesting things with with Portland, and uh, we know that Eckerstrom had that amazing performance and goal in the Challenge Cup that everyone keeps talking about. Yeah, I think um, Doniak to me is one of those players, just like Kerry Ricaro, that's sturdy and is reliable and is somebody that you want on the pitch when the international names are gone, especially now that she has some years under her belt. So I've always liked her. Um, she's she's not with Utah anymore, is she, or is she? Doniak's in Chicago now. 
Johnny X in Chicago. Yeah, I think, and I mean, that's a perfect place for her to be right now with all of the experimentation that Rory Dames is doing. Yep, she was one of the uh, many faces brought in to try and uh, make up the goals that, that Sam Kerr took with her over to Chelsea. Spirit pick number 12, Callie Farkison. Uh, they took Allie Murphy number 20. And then Madeline Schiefel number 34. Carol Wilson number 37. It's okay if you've never heard of some of these players, but, um, you know, Farkison had her moments. Schiefel played a game or two for the rain. Later on, but not a whole lot there. To give kind of a, a comparison to me, I always saw her, uh, Callie Farkasen, as the um, the Erin Johansson of the Washington Spirit. She's had moments. She has had a lot of injuries, though. And it's just like how, you know, even today he came, Aaron Johansson came back, scored and got injured and had to leave. So I, you know, kind of compare those two together because I've heard more about the injuries than I have of them being on the pitch. She came back um, a little bit and played in, in a couple games in 2019, I think it was. And I enjoyed watching her, but I think that her going over to Europe now might be her best bet. And I hope she finds success over there. I remember her coming into a game, I think it was after her ACL, and she didn't have a uniform number, and nobody knew who she <laughs> was, and the broadcast people were texting, cause texting me, I was at the game, the broadcast people were texting me, like, who the heck is this player? Um, so, you know, very NWSL there, to let a player come in the game with no name or number on the jersey. <laughs> Sky Blue at 13, Leah Galton. At 23, Erica Skrosky. At 29, Caroline Casey. And that's it. And this was uh, Christy Holly's first draft in charge. He had just gotten the job, although he was kind of in the position for a while. But, you know, Rodriguez at number two. And then Galton and Skrosky and Caroline Casey. That is not a bad draft class there. Galton just could not hang with the physicality of the NWSL and is now with Manchester United. Casey retired, showed some promise. Um, you know, Skrowski still hanging around. That's not a bad draft for Sky Blue. Yeah, and Skrowski has been, you know, especially useful now with all of the injuries that they had heading into the Challenge Cup with, you know, Caprice Didasco going down, Mandy Freeman still kind of up in the air, and um, Madison Tiernan getting hurt again. So she was definitely used during the Challenge Cup, and she is just another one of those misreliable players. Yeah, you know, she started off playing center back, and so, you know, it's her and Christy Pierce, so... You know, what better mentor can you get? And then circumstances dictated that they moved her to the right side, and she just hasn't been able to get off that right side since then. And that one game when Sky Blue two years ago, when they didn't win and they beat the Pride in the last game of the season, Skrosky played center back and played incredible. And I'm just waiting for her to just get a chance to get like a seven or eight game stretch at center back and see if. She can actually make that work. She didn't get it. She, you know, she looked like maybe she finally fell off the starting grid for Sky Blue at this Challenge Cup. All right. Pride took Christina Birkenrode, who didn't do a whole lot. Um, that was at number 15. Danny Weatherholt at 31. Um, and that's it for them. Uh, we talked about this off air. Like Weatherholt is like the reverse Carson Pickett, um, because she, was okay for the number 31 pick, although I think she got good enough. That now she's a disappointment and is now with the uh, rain. Um, 
you know, Birkin Road didn't do a whole lot, but the Pride have not really been known for their drafting, and uh, this is the, kind of the start of it. Yeah, not too not too much has come out of the um, Pride's draft picks, but yeah, I I really like Danny Weatherholt, and I think she's one of those players that oh, it just kills me that she's never gotten an opportunity with the U.S. Women's National Team. So, Flacco, if you're listening. Not a bad pick. <laughs> well, she's not going to get one now the way she's played the last couple of years. So if she's, if she's going to get one, um, she should use 2021 while everybody else is getting ready for the Olympics and, and really try to stand out, I think. Kansas City, Katie Bowen at 16, Breanne Reed at 18, who was Skrosky's center back partner at Rutgers and was actually picked ahead of her. Uh, they had a really good defense. Alexa Newfield at 28. And Alex Arlett at 38. Newfield and Arlett, and even Arlett at 38, actually played. I think they both had some injury woes. Um, not No standouts. You know, Bowen is okay still with that team, you know, if you consider Utah a continuation. Um, but not a, nothing to write home about there for FCKC. Yeah, I still consider the Royals to be a continuation of FC Kansas City, just like I can sin- Consider Western New York to be the continuation of, um, or it's backwards. New York, North, North Carolina yeah, North to Carolina. be the continuation. North Carolina for sure is a continuation of, um, the Flash. Some legal things I think are in the way of the FCKC Utah thing. Um, all right, Chicago number nineteen, and this is why Rory Dames dominates the draft here. He comes in with the nineteenth pick. And he picks Katie Naughton. And then he goes with the 22 pick, and he takes Sarah Gordon. And then down the line, Courtney Raitsman, Janelle Flaws at 32 and 33, Adrian Jordan, 35, Candace Johnson, 36, Ashley Ellenwood at 39. But, I mean, come on, you know, uh, Naughton and Gordon at 19 and 22. It doesn't get much better than that with picks around that part. And those are the picks that make or break these teams, honestly. Those are the picks that are the steals of the draft, too. I mean, for Rory Dames just kind of has that magic at a draft where he finds such hidden gems. And then his other part two piece of magic is that he always finds players either from Chicago or played college soccer in Chicago or just Illinois in general. And so I I always watch the drafts and think, which Chicago players Rory Dame's going to go for this time? Um, so yeah, Katie Naughton, of course, just won the, uh, Challenge Cup with the Houston Dash, kind of had the last laugh with her old team, but Sarah Gordon, I mean, she's, she's so good. And, you know, last year was just kind of that, I think, breakout year for Sarah Gordon to really command on defense and just kind of take over as one of the, you know, well-known, better-known names of the Red Stars. And I'm going to tell you something else, too. Ashley Ellenwood, who they picked at 39, who I don't think ever made it into a game for the Red Stars in the NWSL. She played for them in 2012 in the WPSL Elite League. I think she was just off her freshman year at Arkansas. She was a really good player. Couldn't quite stay healthy, uh, which is unfortunate. I think she would have been someone that could have scored some goals in the uh, in the league. All right, next up will be the Rain who took no wait. Uh, how about the Thorns? Thorns jumped back in at 21 with Mackenzie Berryhill and that was it for them. Um I don't have a lot of memories of Mackenzie Berryhill. You? 
Not too much. All right. Um, now the rain, 25, Paige Nielsen, 30, Summer Green, who was coming off an injury, and then Lindsey Luke, a goalkeeper with the last pick in the draft. Uh, you know, Summer Green wound up in Chicago, and I don't think she ever really got back after she got hurt. But I, Paige Nielsen is now in Washington. I thought she was one of the most – like if we had a most improved player in the league, I think she would have been my early pick or my pick coming out of the Challenge Cup because I think the Spirit need a center back, but Nielsen was real good. I, I'm, you know, I don't know if Nielsen is like the leader of a championship team defense, but really a lot of props to her for becoming as good as she's become. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what else to add. I think you just said it right there. All I know is I hear a lot of people on Twitter talking about her arms and how she is just, like, ripped. <laughs> and I would not want to be on the other end of Paige Nielsen. No, probably not. All right, breakers are the last team at number 27, Abby Smith. And remember, Abby Smith played a few games that year as a rookie and was really impressive and then and hurt her knee pretty badly and mm -hmm. hasn't ever gotten back yet to where she has been a regular starter. I guess she did in this Challenge Cup, which was only a, a few games. You know, a lot of people want her. I, I'm not convinced that Abby Smith is national team caliber. I don't love the way she comes off her line. She, she initiates a lot of contact near the top of the 18, but she is a real good shot stopper. And maybe if she can get some games in, then, you know, she can get something because she's just been buried in a very deep goalkeeping pool that this league in this country has yeah i think you just said it well i i would like to see her get consistent minutes with utah before there's even a discussion of her even getting back into the national team and yeah the poll is deep and obviously right now there's only nine teams louisville's coming in next year there's 10 and then angel city then makes 11 so there's still I mean, that, that's still very few goalkeeping spots and really one and two extra um, starting goalkeeper spots. So there's a lot of depth and competition at the goalkeeper spot in women's soccer in the United States. And I think Abby Smith has just kind of been on the wrong end of it. Well, we have now covered the entirety of the 2016 NWSL draft. Number one pick was Emily Sonnet. I think right now the top player out of that draft has to be considered Rachel Daly. And the top news story out of that day was the introduction of the distribution ranking order to get Mallory Pugh to port, and then it never, ever happened. She never did play her yet, I guess, for the Thorns. But, Rachel, thanks for your uh, participation on the podcast, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks. We will be back next week for another edition of the Equalizer podcast. A reminder to please use hashtag EQZPod, E-Q-Z-P-O-D, to send in your questions and comments that we could possibly read on the podcast. And if you have any ideas for topics, because we don't know when there's going to be actual soccer played again, any ideas for topics, send them to us, and uh, maybe your topic can be the subject of a future podcast. So for Rachel Krigger, I'm Dan Lawletta. Thanks again for listening to the Equalizer podcast. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. 
Check out our amazing offers on Xfinity Internet. You'll get fast speed and Wi-Fi coverage you can count on. Plus, get advanced security free with the XFi Gateway, so you can keep the connected devices in your home protected from network threats. Just log in and activate through the Xfinity app. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. 